you can't lead people if they always have to function in your box. Everybody's got to give a little or a lot. Lily Farrick is my guest on today's podcast episode. Lily is a professional dancer turned sales professional turned entrepreneur and coach. I had the benefit of being coached by her in my career, and I know that you'll be inspired by her just as I was then and during this conversation. Enjoy. Welcome to the Become a Provider podcast, a show about how people bless and protect others and how you can do the same. I'm your host, Justin Thomas. Let's begin. So Lily, I wanted to have you on the podcast because you provided for me. And can I start this episode by sharing one of the stories? Sure. The first story that I think of is I was in charge of sales for the first time of a small tech company, and I didn't know what I was doing. And fortunately, I knew you from church and I knew that you did something around sales. And I just reached out to say, can you help me? Then I found out that that's what you do. You are a sales consultant for other businesses and you took me on as a client and you immediately started providing value for me. So I wanted to have you on the Become a Provider podcast to say thank you for providing for me and giving some skills around not just sales, but leadership in general. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. So I remember one of the, the terms that I learned from you was to be pleasantly persistent. What does it mean to be pleasantly persistent in your work and in your relationships? To be respectful, to be respectful of people and unapologetic about what you're looking for. If you're in sales, if you're not persistent, you're just not going to win. That's just all there is to it. Persistence is a principle that I live by, but it also means that you are respectful of people, respectful of time, even respectful of a no, right? So if you get a no in sales, it's okay. You're respectful of that. And I think many of us have had those sales interactions where our time is not respected. We're not respected. A salesperson disrespects our no. If we've said, I don't need that, now's not the time. And they won't take no for an answer. And you really don't need it. So really try to teach and lead in the opposite direction of being respectful of people in the process and being respectful of the clients if you land them. But I think that's what I think of when I think of being a pleasantly persistent, but also being unapologetic about your pursuit. That was huge for me. That was my takeaway. And you know what? It's, it's hard because as you know, as a coach, you try to teach so much. And then at the end of the day, you realize that your audience is only going to remember a, sh a little bit amount, right? And sometimes that's all it takes to change behavior. But for me, that term being pleasantly persistent really stuck with me because you can carry that on through many more things than just sales. You can do that through your relationships, family, friends, colleagues, just to follow up and do that in, in the right way. So before you became the sales professional who's coaching others, such as myself, how did you get to a place where you had the confidence to say, I'm ready to coach others and lead others. What helped you get to that place in your career? Just walk us through some of the major milestones. Okay, well, I guess I'll walk back to my career before I was in sales at all. And I had a career as a performer, so I was a dancer. So discipline was already built in me before I ever ended up in sales. So when I ended up in sales through no plan of my own, I had retired from performing and then I landed in sales because I didn't have a plan, just a place I landed and I could engage an audience and engage people. And I was highly disciplined. So I landed in sales. And as far as leading people, you know, I, I believe I've worked with you. So I believe wholeheartedly in process and in training, 
And when I was a performer, I also did plenty of teaching. So it just came really naturally to me to not only execute what I knew or what I was learning as a sales professional, but also to impart that to other people. And I think you all can only get, you know, for me, I could only get better if I was also teaching it. Plus also once I started my own company and I used to do all the work myself, now I've got a team of people who, who work with me. And the only way that you could help them help clients is to impart what you know. And then also learn from them. And so that's really a unique background. I remember a moment in business school as an undergraduate, our professor said, hey, how many people think they're going to be in sales? And no one raised their hand. He said, well, I've got news for you. You're all going to be in sales if you, <laughs> if you want to be in business. And so you said you just kind of landed in sales. What was that transition like going from a professional dancer to sales? You said it was almost a happy accident. Yeah, it was chaotic. So my first career I was so deeply passionate about performing and just the art of dance. And I was a contemporary dancer and trained in a couple of different areas. I was so infatuated and passionate about that career that early on, I never, ever could see myself doing anything else. I could never see past, you know, the next couple of years of gigs and rehearsing. And then I just hit the wall, literally just kind of hit a creative wall where I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. And my husband and I had moved several times. So I kept having to, I was getting older and like my late twenties, early thirties and kept having to reinvent myself to a new audience in a new city. So I, I happened to be working at this facility where I think I was also teaching fitness. And anyway, this position entry level position came open for sales and marketing. And I had some good connections and I was like, we'll try it. I can talk to people. I can, engage people. And literally that's how unplanned it was. <laughs> Just, right. It's like, it's the kind of advice you would never give your children. <laughs> so, so I just landed there and I, I found that I loved it. And then I, then I craved training. Right. So that is how I landed there. And it didn't take me very long to figure out that I wanted to chase measurables and chase numbers and be driven by you know, how many sales calls do I have to make this week? How much money needs to be in my pipeline? So it didn't happen. It didn't take very long for me to be able to crave those things naturally, but that was the unplanned transition. What I love about the honesty of your uh, story is that you didn't think about a career outside of dance because you're so passionate about it and you're all in training it, training for it. And then eventually you, you say it's time to transition. You hit a wall and then you do so. As you think back to your career, whether it was that moment or other moments of significance, who are the, the people that you can look back and say, wow, they really blessed or protected me in this season of life? Yeah, the first person that comes to mind is my husband. So he has long, and, and he doesn't say this anymore, I think, because I've matured and we've matured together as a couple. But early on, when I was an entry-level salesperson, he always used to say, I believed in you to be able to do this long before you believed in yourself. And I've always thought you could do something like this. And so he was somebody who in a previous career had hired salespeople or had done lots of hiring. So I think that he could see that there were some pieces that I had that made great sense. And that frankly, I think a lot of employers would appreciate, you know, diligence, hard work, honesty, just some real basics. So it would be my husband. And I would also say my sister was always my cheerleader and we're actually each other's cheerleaders. So we speak you know, two, sometimes three times a day. And we're just constantly cheering each other on. And so we've always had that role for one another. 
And so how did they encourage you in that transition? Was it words of affirmation? Was it gifts? I think my husband just thought that that was like a great place for me to land. Mm-hmm. You know, if I said, hey, I think I want to go to accounting school, he'd be like, we need to have a talk tonight, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. but I, I, I think the transition was, he just didn't, he was really just by default, just go for it, girl, you know, just go for it. So I think that was, you know, that was the transition. And my husband's a, a re- relatively reserved man. It's not like I come home every day and he's, you know, cheering in the front lawn. He would deter me if it was the wrong place. So just even just the absence of words would have been, is his form of, I think you should go for it. Yeah, thanks for giving us that context. And that's why it's so important to know how people root can root others along, right? It, it could be with words. It could be uh, not saying it. But I love how you put it. It's like, just go, girl. And then that's all you needed. You didn't need that cheerleader on your front lawn every day because you're not that type of person. You're off and running. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's not that type of person. Yeah, so I think that's it. And as far as my sister is concerned, I think the same thing. We certainly talk a lot more. You know, the two of us were both pretty chatty. But it would seem like a very natural thing to encourage me in that transition because both my parents were entrepreneurs and in sales and, you know, kind of always working a deal. So for me to have gone in that direction seemed pretty natural. And when did you know that this was going to be a good fit for you? Was there a deal that you closed? Was there a moment? Can you take us back to when you said to yourself, I can do this? Sure. So there were a couple of moments, but the first time when I landed that entry level job and I I really liked doing it and, you know, starting to run numbers and I really wanted training. And I asked my employer if they would pay for training. Having been a dancer, like training just made perfect sense. I wanted to learn a methodology and it made sense. Anyway, they declined. It was an entry level job. And so the amount of money I was asking for was probably a percentage of my teeny tiny base salary at the time. And so they just declined. And so I negotiated something with them because at the time I didn't really have the cash to invest in myself. Not after having come out on the other side as a dancer, I didn't really have a lot of cash flow. So I negotiated something with them that if they could at least, I don't remember the details, but I think if they could at least put up half of it, I basically would place a bet with them and say, if I don't earn that back for you in six months, then you can just take that paycheck. Just don't cut me a check because I think I did the math to where it was the equivalent of X amount of paychecks. And so I put the fire on myself and I did it. And so I I placed a bet on myself. And then fast forward a few years, there was another situation where you're seeing the trend. I asked for money again, as I had advanced my career, I asked for money again at another where I was working somewhere else. And this time the training was even more expensive. And that employer flat out said no. And so at that point I invested the money in myself and, you know, it would, be the, it would be the financial equivalent of a professional certificate, right? So not the financial equivalent of, a, say, a full master's degree, but a professional, really good certificate if you went over to North Carolina State and got a coaching certificate or something. And so at that point, I just invested the money in myself. But because my employer didn't want to invest any money in training or really just didn't value it the way that I did, I also made a decision if I invest this in myself, and part of this is learning to negotiate larger deals, my loyalty is to myself. I knew that I could take that skill and go somewhere else. And so I did. Because, you know, if an employer invests in your training, fair enough, you would have an agreement that that investment would stay at that company for whatever agreed amount of time. But because we didn't face that agreement and I just said, you know what, I'll pay for this myself. It also released me to do whatever I needed to do for my career for that next move. 
And just like I shared with you at the beginning of this conversation, some of the mantras and techniques that I learned from you about being pleasantly persistent, the follow-up, and thinking of your sales pipeline in terms of revenue dollars, not number of deals. There's a lot of techniques that you shared with me that was super helpful. As you think back to some of those early training lessons that you invest into yourself, what's stuck with you? Process. Process and questions. And sales is a series of questions, getting to the right answers, and trust go back to respect in the relationship, but process was what I always loved about learning to be in sales. And, and like you said, best practices, you kind of learn these principles. And if you apply these principles along the way, then, you know, over time you get better and better at the craft. And one of the things that you taught me was it's all about adding value every step of the way. So if you haven't heard from someone in a while, think about what you might send to them. If it's a white paper or a case study, you did a good job challenging me of never just send an email of saying, I'm just checking in. And I, I really took that to heart as well because I, I I was doing that thinking this is a friendly tone. You know, I grew up in the South. I'm just checking in. Like, you know? And you said, don't do that, Justin. Like respect their time, follow the process. And the process is say, hey, as you consider this proposal, I thought you might find this interesting. Here's a case study in your industry. And I remember that being another tool that you equipped me with as well. And just very, very helpful. So you, you go through this training program, you, you discover the process that works for you, and you continue to have a successful career in sales. And talk about providing value and your mindset in doing that in your professional life, whether it's in sales or managing others. Just talk about providing value and how you do that. I learned this from somebody we both know, George Gregory, leave a place better than you found it. And that doesn't even mean that everything went perfectly, but leave a place better than you found it. So in working with clients, you don't want to come in, offer services. And, you know, when that relationship is over, you will have left value and not only helping them gain more clients or some, in many situations, we run sales pilots only to determine they shouldn't be in that market segment at all. Right. So the outcome the, our outcomes vary now the way that we do business, but you always want to leave a place better than you found it. And that means that you will have taught them something that one of the things we're doing now is we're helping clients, a lot of clients now capture their processes. And so they've got these systems and we've always done that, but now I think we do it better than ever where we help a company hire an inside sales team. You know, they begin with their first business development representative that we're going to show them that not only they're going to hire a junior level person, but they need to own all the operating systems of that new department. And so we will help them craft that. So if the, if that junior level person moves on, everything doesn't live only in that person's head and that everything isn't just swirling in the air and in people's head, but that intellectual property, all those things that they actually belong to the company and the person, of course, that they hired is valuable, but also valuable is what you've helped that company create because as companies want to grow, you and I both know, like you've got to have captured systems and processes, not just everything living in people's heads. And then as far as, as leading a team, two of my personal values that I identified a couple of years ago are confidence and authority. And when I speak about authority, I don't mean like, hey, I'm in, you know, we're in charge of everything and we're in control and we're power freaks. That's not it. But so I like to make that clear. But the confidence is we have confidence in the fact that we can even say, hey, we're not even sure. Like I'm confident enough to say, I don't know what happened here or we're not sure what direction to head in. 
but even that implies that you're confident because we don't have to hide anything, we don't have to make anything up, that we work with our clients in a collaborative nature to say, I'm not sure, and we're here working together because collectively as a team, we're here to figure this out. So to me, that is what confidence looks like. Confidence also looks like if you think a client is heading in the wrong direction and they're going to, for instance, tell you exactly how the script should be done, and yet they have not had a successful attempt, and we've done this many, many times, then have the confidence to say, Mr. or Mrs. Client, I think that's not a great idea. Let me tell you my idea. Or can I just give you my suggestion? But we always have the confidence to come in and make the recommendation. That's one thing. And then as far as authority is concerned, is that we, we've done this a lot of times. It doesn't mean that we know everything by any means, but we see lots of trends. And in certain market segments, like right now, we know what's happening in COVID in mid-sized pharma. So if a client says, hey, why don't you go about it this way? We're like, well, we just work with three clients. And this is the dynamic of what's happening in mid-sized pharma. So we have some level of authority when we've done something repeatedly and the client has not. And so I just like my team to have the confidence that it's not only me that's at the table with our client with confidence and authority, but my team is fully empowered to speak their mind, to give consult. And frankly, clients like that. But I have found that I've had to, and I think part of this is my big personality, right? So I have I'm hardly a wallflower. I really have to get out of the way or just like not show up to meetings in order for my team to really be able to develop those things. But those are things that I, I care about. And, and, and to be honest with you, I, I work with, you know, almost everybody we hire is female. And so I, I think that's important for women. And um, again, you know, it's not like we're not, like not know-it-alls at the table, but it helps our clients trust us when we come to the table with validated insights, opinions, not just a pair of hired hands. And that fits you so well. It's so authentic. It's not just empty words of confidence and authority. That's who you are, and that's the value that you bring. How did you discover that amongst all the other words and values and positive traits that you have? How did you land on those two? What exercise did you go through? Or tell us a little bit about that process. It was a Brene Brown book, and she has you know a process. And I spent an hour and landed on those two, and they felt like they had my name on them. So that's, great. that's how I, I did it. Well, and one thing that I respect about you is that the listeners can have an appreciation for already in the conversation is how you are a learner. No matter if you were on top of your game as a dancer, you were getting trained there, or if you're a junior salesperson and asking for training, or as you continue to go up in your career, you had that desire to continue to be trained and mentored. What has that process been like as you've, as you've excelled in your career? What makes you continue to want that training and mentorship in your own career and life? Well, I think it's the only way you can lead people, right? I mean, like if you just close off and you have the belief that you've arrived and that you know it all, you know, even though you've done something a zillion times, I think that that type of stance makes people not want to get to know you or not want to learn from you. So, and I, frankly, I just like learning. I mean, here, here's an example. One of my team members, my key team members, I keep this sticky right here on my desk. These are her top five strengths. And there our strengths are distinctly different. So when I look at, and I keep it right here on my desk because I, it reminds me of what's important to her. I'm a conceptual thinker. And so a lot of times I just like spit out ideas to people. Well, when somebody is wired very differently and they excel because they excel when they have all the detail that they need to do their job in excellence, you can't lead people if they always have to function in your box. 
everybody's got to give a little or a lot. That's so good to appreciate the differences when you want to lead others. And it's, I love the practical exercise that you just shared with us of you've identified the five strengths of your team and you put them on sticky notes so you can have a quick reference to so that you can lead them better. Right. I love that. You made the jump from being a sales professional, a variety of different companies, continuing to invest into yourself, and then you started your own company. What was that like? And how did you do that when maybe a lot of people during this season of COVID, they think, well, maybe it's a great time to be an entrepreneur. How did you make that leap? What was that journey like for you? Oh, gosh, I'm revealing a trend. There was no great plan. Honestly, I had a couple of kids, so I was in a sales career, but oftentimes that involves travel hotel nights, extra hours. And there, I just reached a season in my life where I had a teenager at home and a preteen at home. And I don't know if you know about the statistic, but there's a statistic for, I think it's for preteens that the bus drops them off at three. Those hours between three and six are just this vortex for them to be in trouble or be bored or be influenced by the wrong people. And that data was enough for me that there was frankly no amount of money worth my not being home during that season for those upcoming years. And so I knew that I could take my skills and I could contract them. And so this position I was in, it came to a, a, an end that just seemed appropriate for me to be right here in this office. And like literally the door was right there when my younger would walk through the door, you know, with her backpack and you're at that season of life where they might even be ignoring you, but that's okay. You're both in the house, right? So I just knew I could contract myself. And then once I started contracting myself, I realized I had repeatable processes that could be taught to other people. So then we started doing inside sales. One of my strengths when I was, you know, had a sales job was being a closer, but I also could recognize that small companies really lacked all those systems at the top of their sales funnel. So it was really just a matter of making a shift to help companies figure out the systems that would work for them and you know what all those conversion points were and what conversion points would lead to success, things like that. Now I've completely outed myself that I had two major changes in life. Neither one of them had a plan. But when you have confidence and authority, do you need a plan? Well, I guess not, but it would make my husband feel better. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I think I'm more of a planner now than I ever have been, but I don't think that I would make a change again without a plan, but it's how I rolled back then, at least. Maybe it's still how I roll now. And it's another practical example of how you provide for others, where in that season you felt like, hey, it's no amount of money is worth it to not be home between the hours of three and six. Yeah, that was a, you know, I didn't even need to pray that much about that. Or there's just some things you're like, I don't need to spend that much time thinking about it. It seems like a good transition time. I've heard this before where a company says, yeah, you only you know need to travel 30% of the time. And you can almost always expect that it'll be near double that. Like that's, I've heard that before from recruiters or people who've done lots of hiring. They're like, yeah, they're they'll tell you it's 30%, but you can almost always bank on more like 50 Wow, that's good insight into the industry. And you knew that that wasn't for you during that season in the life. So to exactly. be home more with it. And so as you shared with us about how you provide for your team and yourself in a variety of ways, what are some other moments in your life that you look back on and say, wow, that was a time that I was provided for in life? It could be anything from spiritual, professional relationship. Just what, what is a moment or two that you just feel like ah, that was a time that I was truly provided for? Oh, yeah. So there are a couple of 
important times. One of them is personal. I don't know if you know my story, but like I became a Christian in like 2002. So I was an adult and I was 36 years old. And a couple of years later, I was in a coffee shop two or three years later. And I had some semblance of learning how to study the Bible in those first few years. But I, you know, had never even seen a Bible except for one of those big white leather ones on my parents' coffee table growing up. So I didn't know how to study it, but I was certainly learning because I've always been a learner. But I was in this coffee shop one day and I saw this young woman sitting in a coffee shop with all these questions in a really big Bible. And I was so excited to meet somebody who also owned a Bible because I know like if you've grown up in a Christian home, like that is normal for you. But for me, it was a very novel experience. And I was really excited to meet somebody who owned like, oh, she's got a book like I do at my house. It's this big black leather bound thing. And so I asked her what she was studying because she had her Bible out and had all these questions and all this writing. And I looked at that and I thought, I, I want to study that much. I want to be able to have to come to a coffee shop and write out that many questions from the Bible. And so um, anyway, she shared with me that she was in an organization called Bible Study Fellowship that teaches you how to study the Bible extensively. So fast forward, it's now 2020, and I'm actually a leader for BSF, but that was a pivotal moment for me because I'm where I am now in my own walk of faith because of that pivotal moment. Gosh, what a moment. And doesn't that make you encouraged and inspired to say, just live your life and you never know who you might influence and impact in a positive way? Yeah. And yeah, just live your life like out in the open. And, you know, it was another moment that wasn't planned by me, but clearly planned by my creator. Well, and you said, so you had that moment and was there another one that came to your mind? You said a couple. Yeah, I think the other moment was I had received ample training and in sales. And there was a moment where I went in for an interview and it was going to be a big jump in my career. I, it was, a recruiter had called me and I had worked for smaller companies negotiating smaller deals. And a recruiter called me and, and said, I had my eye on you. There's a, a job I'd like you to interview for. And I said, Oh, sure. You know, and so I interviewed for the job and I had no qualifications in the area in the in the field because it was selling services to the life science, you know, pharma space. And I took one of those profiles, the disc profile, that company had hired a consultant and shown the boss a pie chart and said, you, you need somebody with this psychological makeup. And so I walked in and had a great interview, used a lot of my sales techniques. I worked to close the deal by that afternoon, had an, had an offer. And so that was really a blessing for me because it took me from, you know, small companies, small, small engagements to learning how to sell into the C-suite in large global organizations. And so that was, real, that was even just speaking about it, it's a very humbling, you know, moment to know I couldn't have planned that. I couldn't have, I didn't strive for it. I wasn't looking for it. It was, it just, you know, it came to me. And so I feel really blessed by that. And, and then one last one, if I could tell you that speaking of providing for people, my youngest daughter made me think it's kind of funny, maybe, and it will help somebody. But my youngest daughter, when she turned 16, it was time for her to get a job because in our house, go to work. So it was her first job and she was 16. And so I took her by this restaurant and, and I said, go in there, of course, you know, present yourself respectfully, politely. And then when the interview is over, here's a series of questions you, you can begin to ask. Just ask them, how did I do on, how did I do today? And the manager of this fast food restaurant will, his or her head will turn twice because they will never have been asked this before. And they'll tell you, you did great because you will. And, and then say, and then you ask them, could you see me becoming a part of your team? 
And then they'll be stumped again. So they'll probably tell you yes. And then when they tell you yes, you take the yes prompt and say, when can I start work? And in one fell swoop, in 20 minutes, she came out with an orientation packet. That was like a really great parenting moment. And I'm not going to lie, like I was thrilled for her to have a job and have gas money. I love it. I mean, and isn't it so nice when you can take all that training and learning that you did in your professional life and, and use that to bless your family? Yeah. And I, I'm so grateful for this conversation because this renewing interest in me of what are the questions I should be asking to really maximize these conversations with people, not just closing deals with uh, companies, but just as I seek to maybe go deeper with some relationships in my life to really ask the questions that allow them to open up and to be strategic and thoughtful. And because that's what I'm learning from you again, it's just be strategic and thoughtful in everything you do. Thank you. Well, and before we started recording, one of the things that you mentioned to me was a great saying, uh, I believe I have this right, that you don't focus on productivity, you, pro you focus on energy. Is that right? Or walk me through that saying and that philosophy. Just managing your energy, not your time. And I mean, I do manage time, right? Like, you know, I'm not in this office at midnight and I'm typically here by 830. So I certainly have some markers in my life as to when I work and when I, when I don't, I've got some really good boundaries, but I also just from reading and learning over time, I know that my brain is at really is firing really well between seven in the morning, which is my workout time between seven and about noon. So to the best of my ability, I try not to schedule meetings unless they're with existing clients and, you know, we just have to make it work. I'm okay with that, but try to schedule as few meetings as possible between seven and noon. And that's when I do my deep work. Like this morning, I was reviewing some sales scripts and crafting strategy and working with my team. And I needed some full, what I call full brain juice time. And then in the afternoon is when I have meetings like this, where I'm engaged as an extrovert and it's requiring thought, but it's not a lot of like deep concentration. And, um, and then I just, you know, hardly do anything, you know, after eight o'clock at night, I go to bed really early. I get up as early as for sometimes for just prayer and reading my Bible, but have learned my own rhythms throughout the day. So I try to do that. And I, one thing I've learned is that I think I used to think that I could just do any task between eight 30 and five. And that's so not true. Like I can look at a task in a sauna and say, Oh, I could never do that at three 30 in the afternoon. Let me, in fact, I did it this morning. I cleared my calendar because I had a couple of big tasks to be able to get to our account back to our account manager for her next step on it. And I knew it was the 8.30 to 10.30 time slot this morning for me to do that work. Yeah, once again, so practical of not putting pressure on yourself of an, just a standard 8 to 5 p.m. time frame, but to recognize I work best in these hours, this type of work, and to try to organize your schedules to allow that to happen. And it sounds like that's a huge learning of yourself. When did you discover that? I think it was later in my career because I think my parents were entrepreneurs and one of the reasons I think that it took me so long to become an entrepreneur is I watched them work 24 seven and not have any boundaries. So for a long time, I believed, Oh, if you are an entrepreneur, then you just work 24 seven. So you have to unbelieve that over time, just through learning again, taking authority over your own life and over your own day. So I would say I've learned that energy management probably in the last five years, I worked with a, this coach and I did this really quick barter and, she asked this great question. She said, what kinds of things renew you in the middle of the day and can kind of relax your mind that you enjoy doing? And oddly, one of them is 
I love to do my major kitchen cleanup in the middle of the day. So the kitchen's not like, you know, trashed by anything midday, but like I'll make coffee for the next day and I'll unload the dishwasher if I ran it that morning. And I find that very relaxing and I'll listen to a book on that's not a business book because I'm resting my mind and I'll do that for like 30 minutes through lunch. And then I also learned last year, I love to walk my dog. So I walk the dog with no technology. I have no phone on me. And that's about a 20 minute walk every day around lunchtime, 20, 20, you know, 25 minutes. And I learned that that actually is the physiological equivalent of meditating. And I just get outside, I get fresh air. And so anyway, this coach helped me understand the things that actually could renew just my brain or my mind or whatever. And so I allow myself those downtimes during the day and then I'll, you know, come back at it and I might do email midday but my top tier work is in the morning. So I would say maybe the last five years. And as an achiever and someone that is driven by the metrics, as you mentioned, allowing yourself that time of quote unquote, not working, I would imagine that's a hard thing to do and to accept to say, actually, this is gonna make me more effective. Yeah, it, it is. And you can live with, you know, until you grow, and I say grow out of it, I just mean unlearn those detrimental beliefs that, you know, to not work the grind that, you know, working the grind is the only, is what defines work. And I've had to unlearn that, you know, actually spiritually and practically the grind, sometimes we just have to work the grind. That's all there is to it. But, you know, to believe that you have the mental capacity to be in the grind every day from 8.30 to 5 and produce like that is just, it's unrealistic. Thank you for teaching me more. <laughs> it's, it's just so refreshing to get back into uh, these sessions here with you. I almost feel like I'm getting coached. And so I appreciate just the reminders of how do you provide for yourself how do you understand yourself so that you can maximize whatever it is you want to do? And then to multiply that, where you're now multiplying that with a variety of team members and clients and your family and just leveraging it, right? Like everything that you're doing, it sounds you've invested in yourself. And it's not just so that you are great, it's that you can make those around you great. Yeah. Well, I've enjoyed this. As we end our conversation, Lily, is there something in life that you have obviously been a provider for companies that hire you, for family, for friends? What's something in the season of life that you're hoping to be provided for? Ideas and innovation for 2021. And would you say that's driven from this craziness of 2020 or is that a typical desire and uh, prayer in your heart? That is something that has been stirring on the inside of me. And I, I did a workshop yesterday and saw some metrics around certain parts of my business. A metrics, you know, metrics, you notice the theme, right? Which is so funny because I made so many decisions based on just feeling for a good part of my life. Now I'm like, let's crunch some numbers and see what we're seeing here. So my prayer really for provision for me from God is the ideation. So I'm studying the book of Genesis right now and just marveling at how God put order, you know, made order out of chaos. And so I'm really pondering that in this season and then praying for that, that I've got sort of this chaos and all these ideas in my head and I want them, need them and expect for them to come out of my brain for me to be able to put some form around them. I know you'll do it. If I, if I could, you know, <laughs> if I could bet on someone to be someone that has confident and has authority and that's you. <laughs> Thanks to Brene Brown and exposing Brene, that. So. Brene Brown. <laughs> well, you've inspired me in this conversation. Is there anything else that I didn't give you an opportunity to reflect on that you'd like to share with our audience about becoming a provider or just blessing, protecting others in their life? I just want to say thank you to you because one of the things I've always said about you is that you are one of the most positively contagious people I have ever met. And so that's one of my favorite things about you. 
It's one of the things I learned from you. You've always got a positive spin on something, always. Thank you for listening to this episode. Before you take off, I wanted to ask if you would enjoy getting a short email from me every Wednesday called A Kind Word. It provides a little positivity to help you get over hump day. It's free and shares highlights of things that have brought me joy over the past week. If you want to start getting a kind word from me, simply sign up at justinthomascoaching.com by entering your email address and you'll get the next one. That's justinthomascoaching.com. Thanks again for listening. Bless and protect.